hashtag Tim and Friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Mikhail Rubinov here with you Monday, December 5th. Full two hours, too sweet to be sour. Getting you set for another game day with the kind of edutainment you have come to expect from Tim and whoever. This time it's Jesse. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Tim and whoever. Yeah. It was Tim and Sids, Tim and Friends, Tim and Donovan today. I think Tim and Donovan. stopped by for a while Pumped. today. Yeah, we got a bunch of Tim Ands. Uh, we'll get you the kind of stats and information. Maybe even brighten up your Monday. Um, just a little. We'll, we'll try our best. But not anything as ridiculous as the people thinking that Steph Curry could hit five full court shots in a row. Did you see this today? I did. I did. Went viral. I know. I know. Okay, that, you can see that happening. Like one of them. One time? Yeah. That one. I mean... This, I mean like, I know he's good. You know what? Sorry. I know he's crazy. He's the best shooter of all time. But dear oh, God. So are you going to let the people in on the secret? It's not a secret anymore. Well, maybe there's some people that don't know. This is not real. <laughs> <laughs> this is not real for all the people who thought it was real. Yeah. And I was shocked at the amount of people last night who thought it was real. I thought about it for a few seconds. Oh, no, no. More, I, than, more than a few. I, I, I watched it and thought, like, how did SI send this out? Mm -hmm. There's no way that they think that this actually happened. Is there? Like, there. No. I mean, it's brilliant editing. It's an exceptional job. Whoever did that deserves a raise because now everybody's talking about it. But like, what, like you, you, listen, I've seen deep fakes, right? Yeah. Like there, those are scary. our kids, those are scary. Big our trouble. kids yeah. are in a whole different yeah. world than we're in. Yeah. But this is like deep fake one where we just have to understand that people on the internet like to trick us every once in a while. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's whole the industries. And the odds of, of being able to do that, even as the greatest shooter of all time, are like one a zillion. Yes. But it wouldn't surprise you if he did it like one or two of five. Would it? Not five. Five out of five would be a bit egregious. I agree. Either way, two hours <laughs> of whole grain goodness is coming your way with friends of the show. Rich Gannon on the NFL. Jeff Merrick on the NHL. Donovan Bennett, as mentioned, on the World Cup. And Shai Davidi from baseball's winter meetings in San Diego. Discovered by the Germans in 1904, they named it San Diego, which, of course, in German means... Nah, nah, Tim. Tim. Yeah. Okay. Right. Fell into my anchor man for a second. It just means San Diego. Right. Yeah. Saint Diego. Yeah, nice. San? Saint. Either way, are the Jays about to make like a whale in an ocean and make a splash? <laughs> Does Joe Burrow have Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs number? Is Brock Besser on his way out of Vancouver? And can the Raptors be the best team in the NBA? Yeah, I call them the best team in the NBA. Well, I think because they are. Record-wise, all coming up on this edition of Tim and Friends, coast to coast to coast on Sportsnet, and it all starts with Ruby. First things first, so let's lay down the law, Tug McGraw. First things first. How did he get that nickname? No, never mind. 
never mind. <laughs> you, you know, this is almost like two years of the show. We're getting close to the two-year anniversary, and you still Are we? Have, only have very few repeats when it comes to the names. It's very impressive. There's Let, a, there's let's a few do this. Jonas Valanciunas is my go-to yeah. repeat. But Have I see that in real life now. Yeah. Like when we're leaving the house to go to baseball practice or go to volleyball practice, I'll yell out, so, let's do this, okay. Jonas Valanciunas. So I feel like if that's made the transition to your, your personal life. My everyday life. Your everyday life. So that's the favorite. It may, yeah. That's the gold standard. Then. Yeah. Well, it's for those who don't know, we just stole this from Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. where I thoroughly enjoyed what's the word Larry Bird. And kept saying around the office, what's the word Larry Bird? And then it just morphed into us using it with a little tip of the cap to Ted Lasso and Jason Sudeikis. All right. Who we have, uh, who we have ripped off a couple times on okay. various iterations of the show. I don't know if you remember Ooh Wee, What Up With That and Six Arrow Dancing. One of right. my favorite shows right. of all time. Tim and Sid, for sure. Um, so let's get to this, Jonas Valanciunas. Let's get to this, Jonas Valanciunas. All right, here on first. Lay down the laws, Tug McGraw. The MLB winter meetings are underway Seriously, in San tug. Diego, and it didn't take long for the wheeling and dealing to begin. Justin Verlander signed a two-year, eighty-six million dollar deal with the Mets today, just days after they lost Jacob Degrom to the Rangers. Meanwhile, I mean, it's kind of funny. Tug. Clayton Kershaw. Resigned with the Dodgers on a one-year $20 million deal, but L.A. is losing shortstop Trey Turner, who signed a monster 11-year $300 million deal with the Phillies. Where would you like to The start? money. The money is where I would like to start. And I know every generation says, I can't believe they're paying someone $500,000 to play hockey. And then the next generation goes, He's a $1 million baseball player. We've got our priorities out of whack. But to give Justin Verlander in his 40th and 41st year seasons $43 million a pop to me is jaw-dropping. DeGrom, 34. How many starts has he made over the last three seasons? I'll tell you. 15 starts over the last three seasons. He gets five years, $185 million. And Trey Turner, I love the player. I like the signing. I think he's going to make what is a suspect defense in Philadelphia better. But at 29 years old, project that out, 11 years, $300 million. I guess by the end it's going to be a bit better. But they said that about Albert Pujol's deal. Mm-hmm. And in the end, at least in Anaheim, It was ugly as bleep. I thought baseball was past all of this. And I know that there's a segment out there already yelling. In fact, my mentor used to yell it all the time. I don't care. It's not my money. Guess what? Eventually it is. Who do you think's paying those salaries? Deep-pocketed owners? No, you are. Mm -hmm. If you go to baseball games, you're the one paying those salaries. That's what it is. It's kind of sort of reached for me at least, a bit of a tipping point because I already know families that don't go to games because they can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Because it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. Like, when's the last time you went to a hockey game? Mm -hmm. Not not in a couple years. On on tickets that you paid for. How about let me add that? Yeah, not in a couple years. Me either. Because of that. In fact, I haven't even, no one's even offered me any of those Mm -hmm. tickets. Mm -hmm. I haven't even gotten free tickets in a long time. I'm just saying the money is astronomical and in the end, we pay for it. And I think baseball better be a little bit careful here. And I'm, I'm going a little over the line to prove my point. But baseball does need to be careful because it was the affordable one. 
it was the one where people could go, where kids could fall in love with the game mm -hmm. by going and sitting in $5 bleacher seats that don't exist anymore. We yeah. Had, we, had, we had $2 Tuesdays. You go to Dominion in Toronto, <laughs> and you can get a bleacher seat. You remember this? Yeah, there were fights in the upper bowl because of it. Two bucks. <laughs> all the time. Two bucks at Exhibition Stadium before the two your beer days. Money. Yeah. Yeah, when they sold the cheap beer. Yeah. Yeah, that one went over well, too. Brilliant. But right. anyways, like I, I do think that baseball's got to be a little bit careful here, but I know that there's a lot of Jays fans watching here and saying, okay, maybe we could have got – I know there were rumors out there that Justin Verlander maybe potentially – that wasn't going to happen once the Mets lost to Grom. Then they were going to pay the astronomical mm -hmm. number for Justin Verlander, which is what we end up seeing here. Uh, like, it's not even close. His $43 million a year for a 40-year-old, he's 39 right now. He will mm -hmm. be 40 when this contract starts and 41 when it finishes. Not even close to any other athlete in his 40s ever it's in amazing. any sport anywhere. Like, the closest thing you can get, I think, is like 29 Clemens or 25 Tom Brady, like, well, you it's not said, even close. You said it was jaw-dropping. Do you think he's worth it? Because his, he won the Cy Young. His numbers, by all intents and purposes, velocity is better than his career high. The only thing that's down was innings, and whether you think that's related to his age or not remains to be seen, but he, he didn't sniff It, it has innings. to, though, no? I mean, I, I would think so. Mo usually his best seasons were above 200 innings. This is 175. Like, you so. and I can both kind of sort of look at this and amaze. Like, listen, we were talking about this being one of the greatest seasons that we have ever seen, yeah. period. Yeah. Doesn't matter the age. 18-4, and four, 175, 0-8-3, quip. Like, it's a ridiculous season. But eventually it's going to catch up with them. I think the term of two years is how the New York Mets can kind of sort of swallow this. Mm -hmm. If it goes mm -hmm. bad for one year then we're only screwed for one year, yeah. right? Like, but you would think that he won't be worth the $43 million. Like, he can't do that again, can he? Unless he does, and I didn't think he could do it coming off of Tommy John surgery, so who the hell am I? Yeah, there you go. Love yeah. it. Uh, okay, let's continue with some baseball on First Things First. Former, but yeah. Before we go. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, uh, sorry. No. Not bad. Go ahead. I, I, my bad. I just, you didn't think we are getting Verlander in Toronto, did you? No. Or Trey Turner in Toronto. Like, I know that there are those writing into this show right now saying, well, there is a chance of Verlander and or. I know we're going to get the crime dog Fred McGriff, and I feel terrible. I almost feel, I feel like I stopped no, going, all no, over we're the going, crime we're going, dog. No, we're going right back to it. We're going right back to it. No, I didn't um, because there are major players in baseball, and while I think the Blue Jays spend a lot of money, and they do, they think of all the contracts they dished out over the last couple of years, Springer, Hinge yeah. uh, Ryu, Simeon. Uh, there's the list goes on. They yeah. do spend Gossman, money. Yeah. Gossman, yeah. They, they'd spend money, but I'm not quite sure that they spend to that level. Well, I think they want two. I think yeah. they want two pitchers, and I think that if you had have gone with the $43 million pitcher, well, we're, we're, you would have yeah. been picking up the scrap heap after right. that. Well, that'll be remain to be seen, and I think they want an outfielder and not a shortstop. Yes. I think by the end of all this, you will see a catcher gone, two pitchers added, two starting pitchers added. We've already added one of the uh, reliever and an outfielder added. That's what I think by the end of this you'll see. An outfielder that can hit left-handed and play center field. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I and didn't neither think... of these guys did that. So I'm, I'm trying to come to the conclusion that we were both yeah. kind of, and I eh. Yeah, I didn't think they were coming, but that would have been fun. Verlander? Yeah, the Verlander trade turner would have been fun. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to the crime dog, shall we? 
Let's Let's get to the crime dog. Let me get out of the way. Former Blue Jay Fred McGriff is headed to Cooperstown almost two decades after playing his final game. McGriff was unanimously elected Sunday Sunday by the inaugural 16-member Contemporary Baseball Era Committee, as only baseball can do. The Mm -hmm. committee considered eight players for induction, including several high-profile steroid-era players, but McGriff was the only one that got the required 75% of the vote. So what is the bigger story here? McGriff getting the call or Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens getting denied once again? I know what the national story is. It's the latter. Uh, For those of a certain vintage like my own who watch the Toronto Blue Jays, it is Freddie McGriff without a doubt who you could almost pencil in every year for 30 home runs and 100 RBIs, which used to be the way that you got into the Hall of Fame. If you were close to 500 or at 500 and above, you were penciled in, but the steroid users ruined all that and kind of sort of changed all that. So it's good to see Freddie get in. I wonder if his entrance into the Hall of Fame may open the door to Carlos Delgado, who got the same sort of disrespect that Freddie McGriff got on his Hall of Fame ballot. But I think it's quite clear. Uh, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens are not getting into the Hall of Fame unless it's a veterans committee because this committee didn't like him either. Yeah, I mean, this one was the players too, right? Yep. Which is, I mean, pr- predominantly players, I should say. And uh, that that's the end for me. It's, like it's, it's one thing if the media doesn't want those players to get in, but it's a whole other ballgame if your peers who you played with say no. I kept it. saying that players were pissed off that they cheated each other. And I think this is proof. What you might get to is guys are replaced and all you see are young kids who weren't in the game at the time mm-hmm. voting on this, mm-hmm. young kids now mm-hmm. who are voting on this and just look at the numbers and say, oh, those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Which and is possible. Don't, and completely yeah, and utterly yeah. possible. Yeah. But they might, they might be going in when they're gone. Yes, it's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's go to hockey now. Uh, we've, got a lot. we've got a lot to get to. It's a Monday. Usually things are busy in the week. There's a lot of stuff to talk Six about. Six games in the NHL tonight, including four Canadian teams in action, the Oilers, We'll look for their fifth win in the last six games as they host the Capitals. Heating up for sure while the Flames are at home to the Coyotes with Dan Vladar set to make his second straight start. And in Vancouver, the Canucks host the Habs after a drama-filled weekend in the lower mainland. Brock Besser was scratched and then not scratched Saturday on Hockey Fight's cancer night and then scored the game-tying goal against the Coyotes. Meanwhile, Elliot Freeman reported that Besser's agent has been given permission to explore trades for his clients. So how do you see this one playing out? Well, first, this sounds like the two are unrelated, that Besser was given the permission to talk to other teams through his agent to see if there was an opportunity available to him because he obviously hasn't played up to his capabilities this year. Then it was the Saturday night debacle Mm -hmm. that had him, who, if you don't know, Brock Besser's father passed away uh, of cancer in May, and this was a very important day for him, the Hockey Fights Cancer Night in Vancouver, and he was going to be a healthy scratch for the first time in a long time. Ends up getting into the game and playing, but I believe it was Thomas Jance in The Athletic who said in the end, even when the Canucks win, they lose. (laughs) And that's where you can't help but think, like, how could you not have figured this out as a franchise that maybe this wasn't the day to do all this and then have all this come out? Does that not underwrite what a lot of people in the lower mainland have thought for a while? And that is this franchise is kind of making it up as it goes along. For sure. For sure. And the weird thing is, like, Boudreaux said he didn't 
know that it was hockey fights cancer night. Yeah. So you would think that there's communication between coach and management when deciding who to scratch that night. And so so nobody knew. But even if there wasn't, even if even if this was Bruce Boudreaux's decision on his own, mm-hmm. the fact that he was given permission to speak to other teams means that management doesn't like him either. Yeah, no, no question. So so you would understand how this decision would come to it. And people in the like fans of the team are just sitting here going, who's making these decisions and why are they making them at these times? Mm-hmm. Because even when we win, we lose. And this is another piece. And even if you don't like Brock Besser, you would understand what this night would mean to him. Even if you wanted to send a message to Brock Besser, you would understand this wasn't the night to yeah. send that message. All of those things speak to me about a franchise that is kind of sort of swimming. And I don't think it's going very well. They may be drowning a little bit. They've got to figure things like this out so they don't start losing faith from the faithless right now mm-hmm. in the lower mainland. And that's the, that's the hard part. Because if you want the rebuild, you kind of have to have the people buying in. And when you do things like this, you lose the people buying in. And for the record, Besser did say that it hurt him when he walked into the room and didn't see his name on the whiteboard. It was painful for him to think that he was going to be scratched uh, that night. And, and you got to think, like, there's free agent, potential free agents coming up here. If you have these sorts of incidents in the organization... Is this going to become a place where players don't want to play? Correct. Like that's a serious that's possibility, and you yeah, should worry about that. So without they got to get their act together over in Vancouver. Uh, Andreas Athanasiu, uh, this was a wild situation. Jacob Truba with an absolutely massive hit. Several. And then over several. The weekend. And then Athanasiu <laughs> decided to call out Jacob Truba, who is, throws his body with the best of them. You make the decision of whether you think it's most of his hits are dirty or clean as a bit of a reputation. But Athanasiu had that to say. I mean, this hit is, is massive. But as we've seen in the league over the years, this hit now precipitates a response. Okay, but this hit was one of three over the weekend. Truba had to fight three times because of the hits that he laid out. Jonathan Taves fought him. Jujar Kara fought him. There was a Brady Kachuk fight, captain and captain, at center ice at Madison Square Garden. And the reason why is because Jacob Truba is trying to fire up a team that is as frustrating and as confounding yeah. as any team in the National Hockey League. And the crazy part of all these hits is that you know he's that guy. And whether or not you think it's dirty, the players aren't looking for these hits anymore. And that should be concerning to all management, all coaches, all player agents. Like, if you're on the ice with them, have an eye because he's got a history of this. This is him against Sidney Crosby. We, we know what he is. You know what he is. And yet, Andreas Athanasiu seems like he was surprised by this again, even though he's got zero. That's his game. Isn't this, That's the point of hitting, is it not? To make your opponent think and know you're on the ice and change the way they play. And it seems like it's working. It, it, I mean, the point of hitting is to separate your opponent from the puck and gain possession. Well, but now, as you now saw it is, on the sure. Athanasiu In the past, hit, it wasn't always like that. No, but in the in the Athanasiu hit, the puck goes through Truba's legs. Yes. He's not even looking for the puck. No, that's a moment. He's trying to change momentum. W- without a doubt. Yeah. And part of me is like, keep your head up. You know he's on the ice. He's already had... Like, how many instances where you have to understand? And that's part of the, that's part of why you hit, so that guys have to know that you're on the ice. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, Did you think it was dirty? 
It's I mean, like it, it's, dirty it's, is a fine it's line. It's close. It's, it, it's close. Is it clean? Is it penalizable? I don't know. Is it dirty? Yeah, because guys aren't looking for it. Should guys be looking for it? Hell to the yeah. Yeah. That you got to be looking around. That he's on the ice. Like the best part about Chris Pronger who's going to show up on Monday Night Hockey tonight was that you had to know where he was at all times. Yeah. That was part of the Scott the Stevens. lore. Yeah, of Scott Stevens. I mean, if Scott Stevens did what Scott Stevens did now. Be out of the league. He'd be out of the league. <laughs> he'd be a pariah. Yeah, they don't do Instead, that. Instead, he's in the Hall of Fame. This is the closest thing we have to Scott Stevens. So it, you you be the judge. You tell me at Tim and Friends. Do you want this in the game? And I think the answer will be yeah. I mean, I do. I'm not the one getting you know hurt by this. Most though. people want it in the game. As a fan, they're entertaining. Uh, Jeff Merrick coming up a little bit later. We will continue the hockey conversation, but I believe. World Cup action continues today. We yeah, we'll get to the Raptors and the Celtics in game time, which was a huge game for the Raptors. I think kind of a measuring mm-hmm. stick game for them. We'll get to them in game time a little later on. But yes, uh, the round of 16 continuing at the World Cup. All favorites winning so far in the knockout stages with the tournament favorites. Brazil! <laughs> I'm to do that. Are you going to dance like yeah. Sixero used to dance to this? Oh, seven. Oh, yeah, seven. Get out, buddy. Sebastian Moran. The hips were moving. Brazil. Take on impressive. South Korea. Short time ago. And there was a lot of dancing Relax, in this one Shakira. for Neymar and company. In fact, just seven <laughs> minutes in. Rapinha Sanders for... Vinicius Jr., he becomes the youngest Brazilian player to score in a World Cup knockout match since Ronaldinho, and he put it in the absolute perfect spot. And here we go, dancing again. It's 1 0, 11th minute. Jung Woo Young catches Richarlison in the area. That is a penalty for Brazil, ensuing spot kick. They gave it to Neymar. The slow run up, and he catches the keeper, leaning seventh World Cup goal. They didn't stop. 29th minute. Look at this nonsense. Richarlison jumping away. Nicely done. He might get it back. He does! That is Brazil in a nutshell. Richarlison, unbelievable skill, finishes with ease. And the Brazil! Cruz 4 1. It was 4 0 at halftime. It was over. South Korean goal was nice, but it was over. Catchy tunes, is not? It's unbelievable. They might keep playing that bad boy for a long time. Uh, first game not as exciting, Japan, Croatia, unless you're Japanese or Croatian. Uh, Mayo Yoshida centers. Dezan Maeda scores his first World Cup goal off a of deflection. Japan out in front 1-0, but Canada knows this. Croatia will fight back. Perisic buries a great header in a great spot. Six World Cup goal. He's right up there with Davos Shukor, ties things at one apiece. 63rd minute, ball headed towards Luka Modric, hits it off a of bounce. Suishi Gonda, that's a great diving save. So penalty kicks are needed. And guess what? Dominic Levakovic was unbelievable in all this. Here, diving save to the left. Second Japanese shooter. How about a diving save to the right? Levakovic, another. Great save. That is getting down. Fourth round, Yoshida. Chance to get Japan back level. Leva Kovic. Yoshida will take. 
Livakovic, Livakovic, however you say it, it becomes his third goalie to make three saves in a World Cup shootout. Croatia advanced to the quarterfinals 3-1 on the penalties. Who's playing the role of Craig Forrest there? So the bracket looks like this, Jesse. Brazil will face Croatia in the quarter. There's some huge This is ridiculous. Like, look at this. And it could be Portugal, Spain. But let me just lay this out there. If you're sprinkling, kids, I think Morocco may be worth a play against Spain. I don't even know how you can get much better than that, to be honest, other than Canada being in the mix. Can we play the music again? I'm sorry. As we go to break. Oh, I love it. Can we? Wait, I love how like you dance like nobody's watching. That's everyone should, but that's except the, for maybe you. That's what you're supposed to do, right? <laughs> Who cares what people think? Okay, they get up, right? No, I'm not gonna get up. Shaina Vini from San Diego as the winter meetings have the hot stove fired up. Jeff Merrick on Brock Besser in Vancouver. All things hockey. Donovan Bennett in studio. That was a hard change. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> hard cut. Tim and friends, let's go. It's a Monday, kids. This was Joe Cool with the game on the line, and he made it look easy. Wow, the Bengals have just beaten the Chiefs three straight times. You did not think you'd hear him ever say that. That is the man, future Hall of Famer, Justin Verlander. And Justin Verlander, what a story. Justin Verlander has agreed to a two-year deal with the New York Mets. Off Yonda, Georgiatis chasing it down into the table. The point continues. This is incredible stuff from Kate Georgiatis. Corgi races. Anytime you see it, it's got to run, right? No pun intended. Run? Get it? Yeah, I'll Never it. It was an accidental slip. Welcome back, friends. Evans, Lattimore, Bucks, Saints. That'll wrap up week 13 in the National Football League in the division nobody wants to win. In fact, if the Saints win tonight, which they have done four straight times in Tampa, the NFC South will have three teams separated by a half a game. Ew. And a leader at five and seven. Gross. Even more gross, right? <laughs> uh, almost the complete opposite of the NFC East, where the last place commanders are seven, five, and one. How the NFC shakes down starts off this week's edition of Timmy's Top Five. How do I know it's Timmy's Top Five? Because we got an intro that says so. Timmy's Top Five from the NFL this week. Number one is just who in the good name of Mike Quick is good in the NFC. If you went to bed last night, you may have missed the Cowboys 33-point fourth quarter explosion in what turned out to be a 54-19 win over the Colts. Dallas is now 9-4 and in their average of over 37 points per game since the return of Dak Prescott is not only tops in the league, it has many wondering if Dallas could actually do something. Worth noting, the Eagles beat down the Titans to roll to 11-1 exactly one week after Running for 363 yards, the Eagles did it by throwing for 386 yards. Win any way you want is the kind of thing great teams do. Let me be honest, if you show up looking like Doug Whitmore from 51st Dates, you better be good. Jason Kelsey and the Eagles were better than good, again. And that's why I have them and the boys ahead of the rest. 
Number two might be the narrowing of the NFC to a two-horse race down the stretch. I know people want me to include the Vikings. I still refuse. I know people want me to include the Niners. I did until Jimmy G went down for the season with a broken foot. Enter Mr. Irrelevant, the final pick of the 2022 draft, who is now Mr. Very Relevant. Can Brock Purdy be the next man up? No pressure, kid. Last pick of the draft, first start next week versus, uh uh-oh, it's Tom Brady. So Jimmy G is out. What about the rest of the injuries? Tua expected to start in week 14 after being lifted with an ankle injury. And Lamar, well, his knee sprain, according to John Harbaugh, not believed to be a season ender. But worth noting, he went down at the end of last season. The Ravens lost five in a row and missed the playoffs. They were eight and four when Lamar went down. They are eight and four now. And number four is the Bengals breathing down their neck. Thanks to an impressive home win over the Chiefs, Joe Burrow is now 3-0 versus Patrick Mahomes, including the playoffs. And while Mahomes hasn't been bad, Burrow has been great. Joe Cool got the Chiefs number? No. But I got a number five, and it's a warning. A warning to everyone. Don't bug Mike Tomlin with your nonsense while it's working. Coach Tomlin, let's go for the win, man. <laughs> man, I'm bleeping working was the answer. And that's why he's never had a losing record. And the Steelers are making it interesting again. Getting back to 5-7 and seven yesterday in Atlanta. Speaking of making it interesting, let's bring on our MVP, CBS Sports Analyst for the NFL, Rich Gannon. I got my, uh, my nonsense in Timmy's top five. What's up, Rich? How are you, man? Hey, bro, that's a pretty good top five this week. Okay, so let's break down. I think I may have pissed off some folks that live around your neck of the woods in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Let's talk about those Vikings. I kind of have them in the second tier of the NFC, despite the record. Do you believe in the Minnesota Vikings? I do. Keep in mind, Tim, this was a team that was 2-5 and five in games decided by four points or less a season ago. This year, they're winning those close games. And, you know, I, I would just tell you that yeah, I don't know that they're an elite team, but they're, they've won 10 games. They're 4-0 against the AFC East. I mean, Kirk Cousins is, is playing some good football late in games when it matters the most. And their defense was terrific yesterday. They forced the Jets to kick five field goals. They came up with some big stops, a couple big turnovers late. Don't count out the Vikings in the NFC. All right. I'll, I'll try my best to keep them in the mix, but there's something about their past that keeps me from putting – they, they aren't until they are, and maybe this is the year they are. Feels like the same thing for the Dallas Cowboys, and I've thrown them into that mix because of the way that they've played with Dak. Ha, has their offense – and listen, I mean, they, they can put up some points, and they have put up some points, and they got a good defense. Have the Cowboys taken a step in your mind over the last little while since Dak returned? Tim, I think they have. I mean, I, I think this is a team that that understands the importance of complementary football. Remember, yes. you know, last night that game was twenty-one to nineteen in the fourth quarter. Correct. Twenty-one to nineteen, and then of course they unloaded on. They had thirty-three points in the fourth quarter. Uh, they put fifty-four on the Colts. Their defense comes up with five takeaways. You look at how Dax playing Pollard, Elliott, Gallup, Lamb. OBJ at some point, maybe this week. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is a team that's trending in the right direction. 
they, they've got some juice, they've got some playmakers, and they got a defense that can get after the quarterback. Okay, so let's talk about that. you got two great backs in Zeke and Pollard, and it feels like Zeke has been very good about the way Pollard has emerged here. That's part of the equation in a locker room, definitely for me. Gallup looks like he's getting healthy again. C.D. Lamb looks like a star. Would you bring OBJ into this mix? You know, I'm not so sure I would. I, I like the makeup and, and the chemistry of this of this team and this locker room right now. But you know, Jerry Jones, he uh, he believes that uh, this is the year that this team can make the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl, and I think he'll do everything he can in his powers to make that happen. I, you know, look, my question is, I don't know where OBJ is out physically. I mean, here's a as a guy that. You know, is he going to come in and is he going to be ready to play? What type of contributions are you going to get from him in December? Is there going to be a setback in terms of where he is at with that ACL? Is there going to be a soft tissue injury? He's going to pull a calf or a hamstring or groin and not be available in January. There's certainly risk-reward here, uh, and they may even be looking at not just this year but next year as well. It's interesting because they don't need him, right? So it's almost like the Rams last year. They don't need him, but if they bring him in and have him come along slowly, and he seemed to be a pretty good teammate last year, it could really work out for them. But things like this don't seem to work out for the Dallas Cowboys. Well, that, they're, they're, this is—I mean, this is a, bis, a business that's based on you know calculated risk. I think Jerry yeah. Jones is willing to do that. I think he's narrowed his search to three teams. Uh, my sense is, if, if I had, a, I, I had a conversation with Stephen Jones. Uh, two weeks ago, I think they're very interested in bringing OBJ, and I'd be surprised if he lands somewhere other than Dallas. All right, let's uh, let's walk down that calculated risk angle. And Baker Mayfield was released by the Panthers today, which means they couldn't trade him. Nobody wanted him, so now he goes through waivers. There's no chance the Niners pick him up. I know a lot of people are drawing those conclusions on the internet right now. Or can we cheer for that chaos, Rich? I don't think it's going to happen. They signed Josh Johnson, who's played for just about every team in the league. You know, I look at what uh, Brock Purdy did yesterday. I got to tell you, Tim, I was impressed. He looked very comfortable in the pocket, former Mr. Irrelevant. 25 of 37, 210 yards, a pair of touchdowns. You know, here's here's the question I have, though, and here's the concern. Mm -hmm. You look at the numbers with and without Jimmy G. Since 2017, the 49ers 38 and 17 with a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo, just nine and 29 without him in the lineup. That was a big loss yesterday for a team that's really playing well, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I, the one I saw from Kyle Yates on Twitter was Christian McCaffrey when he sees Baker Mayfield waltz through the door in San Francisco <laughs> tomorrow. No, no, dear God, no. Uh, so, so Miami, are you are you worried here? Some people were saying that's the first good defense that they played and they didn't look that good. Others were saying not many people have even done what Tua did in limited time against this defense. What, what did you make of Miami in their first loss when Tua starts and finishes a game? I didn't like it. Yeah. You know, I thought it was a step up in weight class. You're playing against the best defense in football. You know, Teron Armstead, their Pro Bowl left tackle, didn't play. They lost the right tackle. Jalen Waller got hurt in the game. Tua hurt his ankle at one point. But here's the problem. You know, they didn't convert a single third down in that game. They didn't handle the pressure well. Tua missed some throws. He didn't look comfortable back there in the pocket. I thought they took a step back against a, a superior opponent this weekend in San Francisco. Okay, what about the Bengals? 
Oh, the Bengals. They took a step up. Yeah. You know, I love this football team. Remember, Tim, this is a team that started 0-2. They couldn't protect Joe Burrow. He was sacked 13 times the first two games of the season. Yeah. Since then, they've gone, they've won eight of the last ten. You know, this is this quarterback is playing as well as any quarterback in the league right now. He owns Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. He's won three straight against Mahomes and the Chiefs. Jamar Chase is back. Right. He's looking good. And how about the Bengals defense in the second half of games this season? There's been no better defense. I really like the Bengals. I think they're peaking at the right time. And they did it without Joe Mixon in that game. That makes it even more impressive. So the AFC shuffles out one more time. And guess who's at the top of the pack again who controls their own destiny for the number one seed in the American Football Conference? Circle the wagons, Rich. The Buffalo Bills. They've kind of had a little bit of an up and down run here over the last few weeks. What do you make of what's going on in Buffalo? How about sitting at home this weekend if you're the Buffalo Bills just watching and seeing the Jets lose, the Dolphins lose, the yeah. Chiefs lose? It was a good weekend for the <laughs> Buffalo Bills, even though they didn't play. I think this is a team that's peaking at the right time, too. I think they can take their show on the road anywhere. They've got an elite quarterback. They've got a defense that's good. Ken Dorsey's done a terrific job. I like the fact that they finally got the running game going a little bit last week. You know, both those backs combined for 29 carries. And the quarterback, I say it all the time, Tim, there's a, is a half dozen plays each and every week that he makes with his arm, his legs, or both that you simply can't prepare for or defend. The guy's a special player, and the team rallies around his energy and his leadership. I really like the Bills. Mr. Gannon, I really like talking football with you. Thanks for stopping by and doing this, as always. You're the best. See you, brother. There, you're the best. You are, no, you are the best, sir. That is Rich Gannon, who was the best NFL MVP, mm. I believe 2002, but I could be mistaken. How did, uh, how did Baker Mayfield go from demanding a big money contract from the Cleveland Browns, what, like 18 months ago, mm-hmm. to where he is now? It, it, like life comes at you fast when you're a Browns quarterback. Well, he wasn't good at all. But there was a moment there where people thought, he was the quarterback of the future in Cleveland. I thought for he, sure. I think it was a Monday night game where he came in, I think halfway through, and was electrifying. And even I was like, this guy is going to be a star. He's going to be a superstar. He was amazing. And just the way that he's fallen, I mean, I'm sure some of it has to do with coaching issues in Cleveland, yep. very little consistency. Yep. But what a fall from grace. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And now he can't even pick up with a team that's. Starting Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Last Irrelevant. pick of the draft, first pick of the draft, can't get the job. The last pick. Could be Tom Brady, though. That's good. On the other side, we'll get to the Monday tradition as we break down the best and the worst in the week that was in the world of sports. And the plays of the week next, you're saying Brock Purdy could be Tom yeah. Brady? Yeah, and you were right about Gannon, by the way. Oh, too. Oh, too. Good. Welcome back, kids. The latest episode of How Hungry Are You? with Serge Ibaka, presented by Samsung Bespoke, is available now on Sportsnet now. Sportsnet.ca, as well as YouTube. This week, Serge is joined by Canadian chef Maddie Matheson. Here's a sneak peek. Who's the most overrated celebrity? Shit. See, you want me to talk shit. Why don't you talk Who's the worst basketball player in the world? No, my question is man. Who's the worst basketball? Do you feel comfortable saying who the worst basketball player is? 
Doesn't Maddie do the uh, pizza place, Maker? Isn't that his? He's got so many, I can't keep track, honestly. You're, don't you go to Maker all the time? I, yeah, well, my in-laws love it. Maker's very good. Yeah, no, it's quality pizza. I just, I think What's your that's, favorite pizza? I think that's Maddie. I, I mean, I don't want to. No, we can't do that can't do here that and piss yeah, off, but I think that's Maddie. I, gotcha. I think one of your favorite pizza spots of all time, which isn't close to me, so I can't get there a lot, is Maddie. No question it's one of my favorites. No question. And if that's him, a job well done. Do you, do you know it's one of my favorites? The plays of the week. Nice. Very well done. So let's get them going, kids. That's right. We are off and pacing in what is a feisty plays of the week. Are those corgis? Corgis, those? yeah. The Queen's dogs. Uh, <laughs> Jordan Bennington feeling a little bit of feisty this week. What's Love he doing? What is he know. doing? I don't know. Eventually, he's going to have to drop the mittens. Eventually, he's going to be called to task. With a forward. Not Just a like these yeah. two dudes, Liam Stutzka and Colin McKenzie this weekend. Look at this. It didn't last very long. Peterborough on top. Good old OHL goalie fight. This is the McDavid appreciation section of the PO Dubs. You've got not one, but two. You don't think it's ridiculous? Connor like, McDavid gems. We have these every week? Like, no, no, I am fully on appreciation mode. Just like, sit and enjoy it. It's unbelievable. Every single week we have goals like this from him. Without a doubt. Ridiculous. Uh, you can only hope to contain Mitch Marner right now. 19 straight games with a point. Absurd. It's absurd. It's pretty damn good. New York Jets yesterday can only hope to be contained. Wearing Mighty Ducks jerseys on their way in. By the way, they lost. <laughs> uh, Chargers lost as well, but put up a good fight. How about this catch? Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, fourth down. I was to make it a one-score game, too. It's not like I bet on the Chargers or anything. <laughs> uh, Cowboys having fun, dropping 54. Zeke, Zeke does this every year with the Salvation Army. Yeah, yeah he does. When the first time they got in big trouble. Yeah. Now everyone just loves it. Kind of like the world. Everyone reacts <laughs> and then there's something. Torts, you having fun? Oh, my goodness. You're asking me dumb questions, guys. Really dumb questions. Jesus. All right, I won't ask if you're having any fun. I know that Anthony Davis is 55 yesterday. The follow-up, 44. He's got nine straight of 25 or more. And don't look now. Lakers have won eight of their last ten. We knew we could do it to stay healthy. King James looking good. And speaking of some people's royalty. <laughs> they're not mine. Some people's. Well, yeah, Will and Kate. What? That's not my royalty. I don't care what they're. I don't care who's on my. He's very good. He's still a commonwealth. He's very good. He's very good. By choice or by never mind. <laughs> Continuing the royalty theme, Patrick Mahomes drawing comparisons to the goat Michael Jordan. He dunked. Yeah, that was so cool. I mean, on the, the Bengals, the commentators didn't know if it was in, and he was running back to the bench because he knew it was. He knew all along. Reminiscent of Michael Jordan dunking on the Monstars. One of my favorite movies growing up. <laughs> yes. uh, who did this better? Alexander Madison faking the injury, down to knees, followed by the twerk, or Lola Bonta of the NWSL who did it first. In fact, Madison said, You're the feeling in my life. You're the inspiration. She was better. Would you do this? No. What kind of question is that? Look at the. Have you ever seen We're Slam seen Ball? Professionals. This is Slam Ball I on like steroids and a half. I had a trampoline in my backyard with a net around it. We played Slam Ball. Not a big deal. 
but not like that. Not like that. No, no, no. John Morant looks what? like he's playing slam ball. Yes, he does. And there's no trampoline? No, there's no trampoline. <laughs> Same with Zion Williamson. John Starks like. All he needed to do was start baseline. Yeah. The spin back against the defense. How about Zion working yeah. himself into an MVP conversation? Oh, Just another dunk for Zion. It's like McDavid. Uh, Christian Watson, not bad of late. I guess Rogers trusts him now. Yeah, he's his, guy. Is. he's his guy. And that was a rushing touchdown too, by the way. Eight it's touchdowns fast. over the last four weeks. Not bad, but nothing was better than this volleyball rally from the NCAA. Cougars up five to one. Jackson rolls from the back row. Adams on the outside off Yonda. Georgiatis chases it down into the table. The point continues, and Georgiatis runs back onto the court. And she's in the play still. This is incredible stuff from Kate Georgiatis. The resilience from the Cougars. The table's still on the ground behind the court. And the Cougars win the point. That is unbelievable. When was the last time you played volleyball? Uh, like for real, my daughter plays volleyball. Like, so whatever, I screw around beach volleyball or whatever. In a couple of years. You know, I played I, it. you know I was grade eight city champion. Not a surprise. Eh? Great athlete growing up. Great eight yeah. city champion. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, I, would do it. I played in Twitch Canada, and it is exhausting. Oh, yeah. Beach volleyball? Like, underratedly exhausting. Is that a play. flex? I played that in Twitch Canada? Yeah. Shirt was off. Not a big deal. I'm not being sure it was off. <laughs> Not the same as it used to be, though. Jesse. I've seen you in the wardrobe. <laughs> anyway, we'll talk baseball coming up next. Jeff Merrick, Donovan Bennett. Please stick around. Jesse will keep his shirt on, I swear. <laughs> Sheepdogs back here. Hour number two on Tim and Friends. Full hour across the network, which will include Donovan Bennett joining me in studio. Jeff Merrick from the Merrick Estates in the greater Toronto area. And Shai Davidi from the winter meetings in San Diego, which just stands for St. Diego, oh, as again. Jesse told yeah. me earlier yeah. on in the show, and not what Will Farrell told me it stood for in Anchorman. But we begin on the ice regardless, and nowhere near San Diego. Rogers, Monday Night Hockey gets underway tonight. Hockey Central, 8 p.m. Eastern, will be followed by the Caps and the Oilers across the country. Plenty of star power on show in that one. Speaking of star power, how about Gene Principe in Edmonton? Oh, Gino. Tim, the Edmonton Oilers getting set for game two of a four-game homestand at Rogers Place, coming off a real thrilling game and atmosphere with a victory on Saturday night against the Montreal Canadiens. I'm expecting the atmosphere to be just about as good tonight at Rogers Place because it's the Washington Capitals and Alexander Ovechkin. Yes, the two points are big for both clubs in the West and the East, but the big, big, bigger picture is what the Great Eight has uh, done throughout his National Hockey League career. Comes into this evening at 7 
793 goals as he chases down the opportunity to be the all-time leading goal scorer in National Hockey League history. The great one is number one, and we know who's number two, and he's closing in on Mr. Hockey as Gordie Howe had 801 NHL goals. It's nice, obviously, um, but uh, how I said, uh, um, when you're in this company already, it's uh, it's uh, pretty it's pretty cool uh, moment and it's pretty cool uh, situation for uh, myself, organization, for fans as well. And that's uh, pretty remarkable, you know. Obviously, uh, Gordy Howe, um, you know, you know, just say his name and you know what it means to to to, uh, to the game of hockey and. Um, he's about to pass him. It's uh, a credit to him and credit to everything that he's done and accomplished. And um, pretty amazing feat. It's pretty amazing. Almost every night, <clears throat> or every other night, there's something that he does. He moves up a ladder of some sort. Um, it's nothing really that we talk much about inside the room. I think everybody knows where he's at and what he's done and what he's accomplished. Well, so many of us were familiar with Gordie Howe and what Mr. Hockey did for the game of hockey. A much different story for Alexander Ovechkin, who was born and raised in Russia. He said when he started watching hockey, all he would see were highlights and the names and the plays of the likes of Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux and, of course, a Russian player by the name of Pavel Burry. And the great eight, Tim, he said that that's why it's so cool now, because of the goals he scored, the fact that his name is being mentioned along with the names of Wayne Gretzky and Gordy Howe. Yeah, pretty good company. <laughs> pretty good company. Thank you, Gene. Always good company having you along in Vancouver. It is the Canadians and the Canucks here at Regionally Sportsnet Pacific. Habs coming off a loss in Edmonton Saturday night while the Canucks beat the Coyotes in overtime. But all the talk in Vancouver, of course, about Brock Besser with more. Let's send it to Dan Murphy. Dan? Tim, greetings from Vancouver, where Brock Besser continues to be the story. He's coming off an eventful Saturday, of course, got to the rink, found out he was going to be a healthy scratch, which he said was extremely hard given the fact it was Hockey Fights Cancer Night. His father, Duke, battled the disease for so long before finally passing away earlier this year. Well, turns out, Besser did play when Dakota Joshua couldn't, and wouldn't you know it, he scored a goal in what turned out to be a Vancouver Canucks win. On top of it all, his agent's been given permission to try to find a landing spot in a trade, a trade that Besser says he did not ask for, and, well, it's safe to say that Besser's been answering a lot of questions about a lot of different topics the last 48 hours. I've never been through anything like that. Um, to be honest, I'm not worried about it. Uh, you know, I, I've always expressed how much I love it here, and um, I'm only focused on getting a win for our team tonight. Um, you know, we have—I believe that we have a lot of unbelievable hockey players in this locker room, and um, you know, so that's my only focus is continuing to get better as a team with with these guys and and get get a win. It can't be easy. Um, you know, I think you know Brock's done a lot of great things for this organization and played a lot of great hockey, and you know, you're going to go through your ups and downs in, in seasons and. And um, it's how you battle through it. And you know, he showed a lot of uh, a lot of character last game, a lot of uh, mental toughness to come in and play the way he did and, and contribute. And um, you know, I have no doubt in my mind he's going to continue to do that for the rest of the year. Now Besser is in the lineup this evening. In fact, he's been promoted. He's playing alongside Pedersen and Ilya Mikheyev. But one thing to keep an eye out for. Quinn Hughes didn't skate this morning. The coach called it a maintenance day. When Boudreau was asked if it was a game-time decision, he hesitated and said he expects Hughes to play. But just something to keep an eye on, as the Canucks could be without their top defenseman when they take on the Canadians. Tim? 
Love rolling through Western Canada. Thank you, Murph. The Flames hosting the Coyotes tonight. You can see that one. Sportsnet one. A lot of talk about goaltending mm -hmm. in Calgary. With more on that, the uh, finally quaffed Ryan Leslie. Right. You know, Tim, last week, uh, Jacob Markstrom had some very strong comments about his play when he just said, I suck at hockey right now. And since then, there's been a lot of talk from the outside about confidence and where he was mentally about his game. On the inside, though, they're very happy with the performance that they've seen out of Jacob Markstrom. Numbers are improving, and certainly they have complete confidence in him. But now for the second straight game and for the first time this season, Dan Vladar will make back-to-back -back starts. He, of course, has two wins in his last two outings over Florida and Washington, and tonight he will start against the Arizona Coyotes. Certainly, Daryl Sutter said, listen, this is about rewarding Dan Vladar, but it's also about giving Markstrom a little bit more time to find his game. Mention the uh, Arizona Coyotes. It's a chance for the Flames to welcome back their old teammate, Yuso Valimaki, who never really did get off to a great start in his tenure with Calgary, certainly with injuries and opportunity. Spoke with him this morning, and he simply said, listen, I'm enjoying my time down here, playing a little bit more free, a lot more positivity. A fresh start was exactly what I needed. Tim. Nice, Ryan. Oh, more hockey with Merrick coming up, and we'll t discuss those Jacob Truba hits as well. Getting a lot of feedback on that. MLB winner meetings underway in San Diego. Didn't take long for the wheeling and dealing to begin. Justin Verlander, two-year, $86 million deal, 43 per, just days after the Mets lost Jacob DeGrom to the Rangers. They replace him with Verlander. Clayton Kershaw re-signed Dodges, one-year, $20 million deal. But L.A. losing shortstop Trey Turner signed a monster 11-year, $300 million deal with the Phillies. Yes, we are already underway in San Diego, which is why we are fortunate to have the services of Shai Davidi, who joins me now from a crowded hotel lobby looking like convention area in San Diego. Shai, welcome back to the show. How are you, buddy? I'm all right. What's going on, boys? Oh, same old, same old. I know you're in a crowded lobby. That means things are happening. Any of these deals that you saw I just mentioned shock you today? Nothing really shocked me, but uh, the one that obviously sticks out, especially for people who are following the Toronto Blue Jays, is the Justin Verlander deal. Because the Blue Jays were, to some degree, engaged in that conversation. And it's interesting, I think, that they were playing in that kind of level because seeing where the dollars landed, the Blue Jays would have had to have been in that kind of financial area to be in the discussion, Justin Verlander. And while it's not necessarily a direct uh, reflection of kind of how exactly how much money they have, I mean, it's, it is indicative of some of what they can do financially this offseason. So I think as we're you know, really trying to piece together what is plan A for the Toronto Blue Jays, what's plan B, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's an interesting little nugget of information, kind of gauge financially some of what they're working with. Uh, I said earlier that when the Mets lost DeGrom, that pumped the number up even higher on Verlander because the Mets really wanted to replace him. But from what you're hearing, the Jays were in on this? Yeah, they were. And like, I mean, I don't know this part for a fact, but I'm going to guess that probably there were a lot of teams who were willing to go two years for him and that the Mets probably pushed it over the finish line by adding the third-year vest. I mean, that's sort of the difference maker. We just think about Verlander's age, how many miles he's got on the odometer, all those things. You know, I think a lot of teams are going to be 
careful about the third year there, probably comfortable at two, maybe a little bit wary at three. Uh, and so I'm just guessing, again, I'm guessing on that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was a bit of the difference maker there. And, and look, the Blue Jays tried to make a run at Verlander last offseason. Uh, by all accounts, they fared fairly well there and at least impressed him or at least made him think about it. So logical that they would follow up again this year. I don't believe that they felt they were going to be the favorites or anything like that. But again, this is sort of the area where they're shopping, some of what they're thinking. And... To, to me, what's intriguing is whether this was plan A, plan B, plan C, and how how they respond from here. Uh, but, you know, the one thing that uh, myself and Ben Nicholson-Smith, our colleague, have been hearing consistently over the day today, everything is, Jays are all over pitching in every aspect of the market. And, you know, they certainly at the top end. And now, where do they move to from here? Okay, so we know that John Schneider is speaking at around 6.40 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, 3.40 local where you are in San Diego. Ross Atkins going at 7.30 Eastern. Do the math, 4.30 uh, local for you. So um, what do you expect the Jays offseason to look like? I know we're not going to get much out of them today. I know you're going to try and get a few things out of them today. But, but how do you expect this offseason to go for the Jays? Yeah, I mean, we're going to try to get all the secrets. Uh, they, they're pretty good at guarding them. <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, look, I think it's pretty clear. They're they're obviously getting at least one starting pitcher. Uh, I mean, I've said this all along. I do think they're going to end up getting a second or at least someone capable of starting as well because they, I, they're not ready to commit a spot to Yusei Kikuchi in the rotation. And you just do the math, that leaves them with three starters right now. So that's two holes to fill. And they're going to get in all likelihood, a left-handed hitting outfielder in an ideal world is one who plays a significant portion of the time or is fully a center fielder. How they go about that, you know, there's still a lot of avenues, right? Because not many of the dominoes have fallen yet. And, uh, you know, one, one thing that I feel and certainly some suggestions that I've heard from others is that the Blue Jays may need that catching market to develop to, to bring some clarity because do they use one of their three catchers to either get an outfielder or to get a starting pitcher and then if they do do that then that leaves them one other avenue in free agency but I'm going to go back to the Justin Verlander thing here. You know, if you're going to be in that $40 million area and you've got that kind of flexibility to spend, you know, maybe at this point the Blue Jays are going to do all their work in free agency and then keep the three catchers. And there's certainly a case to be made for that. Uh, there, you can maybe even argue that might be the optimal outcome, even if you're not necessarily maybe optimizing all three players on the roster as a result. So there's certainly like a lot of different ways the Blue Jays can still go, and the vast majority of them still remain open to them. Okay, so earlier in the offseason, I suggested that it made no sense that the Pirates wanted to keep Brian Reynolds. Apparently, Brian Reynolds agrees with me and has requested a trade. Is that someone that you could see fitting in with the Jays? I, I mean, the, from a player standpoint, for sure. But the Jays and the Pirates don't aren't necessarily a great matchup uh, trade-wise. Even, you know, a rival executive was kind of like looking at it and just saying, yeah, the Pirates, the Jays probably want to trade from catching and Pirates have some catching prospects. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily line up in terms of what the Jays have surplus in and what the Pirates would want. And then the other thing is that, 
you have to remember that Ben Sherrington uh, came from the Blue Jays. Steve Sanders, the AGM there, also came from the Blue Jays. They're going to do a lot of thinking similar to the Blue Jays. They may value their players fairly similar to the way the Blue Jays do. And if you're doing that, it becomes difficult to find the little bit of surplus and maybe the piece that another team is undervaluing that allows a trade to happen or is typically a key ingredient in trades. When you have front offices that think too much alike, that can be a really difficult combination rake. So, you know, I do think Brian Reynolds makes a ton of sense for the Blue Jays, quite obviously from a player profile standpoint. But it just seems to me that that may be a bit of a complicated deal to make unless they're able to pull in a third team uh, to help pull everything together there. All right, we got about two minutes left here, and I want to get two quick questions in here. Where does your gut and the word around the street tell you that Aaron Judge is going to be when this is all said and done, and how quick do you think it'll be? It's interesting. So the word is that he's going to be arriving here tomorrow, be quite the gong show. And then you figure that that is getting to the end game. And, you know, to so, at least with some portion of the free agent market, that's holding things up. So I'm sure that the Yankees and the San Francisco Giants and any other suitors for him probably eager for this to get resolved fairly soon. So maybe it happens here. Uh, I don't know. I, I would think that it's if it was going to happen to the Yankees, if he's going to return to the Yankees, that would have been done already. So we'll see whether that turns out or not. I mean, maybe the Giants, as one of their executives here lurking in the background here, <laughs> uh, trying to do a run, and uh, we'll see if they're able to get that done. I think that's going to be really interesting. Uh, but I wonder if the fact that he's not done yet, if that suggests that maybe that's something that's going to change. You know, I, you can get him to run by just saying, do you want to come on national TV right now? <laughs> 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 yeah. We can ask you this question. Uh, last Last one, should, should Jays fans be uh, Googling Kodai Senga if they haven't already? Uh, I th there's a legitimate interest, and I've been hearing his name not just for this season, but in years past, too. He's definitely someone that has been on their radar, on the radar of a lot of major league teams for a number of years. So. I do think that the Jays are, I mean, the Jays have expressed interest in him. The Jays have been on that. They've scouted him heavily. So they're going to be involved. Are they going to get him? I mean, we'll see. He's, he's going to have a very interesting market. But he's the type of guy who could potentially come in at a bit more of an affordable number and potentially give you uh, a upper end type of talent. There's certainly some risk there if he doesn't transfer if, 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 like exactly like he was in Japan. But the ability is certainly intriguing. All right, Shai, I appreciate you powering through. People walking by you with suitcases, obviously rival executives uh, jawing you while you're trying to do a live <laughs> hit on national TV. People think it's all fancy and bright lights. Sometimes you got to plow through it. We appreciate you doing it with us, buddy. Anytime for you guys. Right, there is Shai Davidi uh, in the middle of what I believe to be a Hilton in San Diego. He's a pro. What can I say? San Diego, oh, sorry, San Diego's Manchester Grand Hyatt. Fancy. Well, you fancy. Is that a must be nice? Yeah, well, it, what must be nice is us getting him a private room to do that hit yeah. <laughs> Because that's got to be tough. I'll be honest with you. I can hardly talk when people are talking around me. Of course. That was like 500 people. Did you see the woman telling the story, obviously, of some sort of fight? No, the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Throwing hooks. And, uh, that's, a, that's a talent, yeah. for sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. All right, time for a break on the other side. Another talent talented young man. Jeff Merrick will join us. Busy night in the NHL. Four Canadian teams in action. We'll visit with Jeff Merrick and discuss Flames, Oilers, Habs, 
And oh yeah, the Vancouver Canucks and Brock Besser next. Rogers Monday Night Hockey coming your way tonight. Hockey Central gets going at 8 p.m. Eastern time, followed by the Caps and the Oilers across the country. Some pretty good talent on the ice over on Sportsnet 1. It is Coyotes and the Flames where the Habs and the Canucks is available regionally on Sportsnet Pacific. Joining me now is the host of the aptly named Jeff Merrick Show. Also does some stuff with 32 Thoughts and my friend Elliot Friedman. It is the lovely and talented Jeff Merrick. What's going on, Jeffy? How are you, buddy? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, how are you today? Lots of uh, lots of hockey. How'd you like it on the weekend? Hey, like all kinds of uh, extracurriculars, oh, of, yes. uh, forwards of uh, Ottawa captains and goaltenders getting in the mix as well, and <laughs> Jacob Truba standing up on guys. And yeah, it was uh, that was a fun weekend. All that right. So earlier weekend. today we brought up the Truba, yeah. and Jesse asked yeah. me if I thought it was a clean hit, and I, mm-hmm. I, I pondered for a second. And I said, yes, yeah. I think it's a clean hit. But the part that bugs me is okay. all of the people that write in and say, keep your head up. What are you, soft? This is a contact game. Like, if, if yeah. you ever saw a tape of me playing the game, I played it a lot like this at a very lower level. But I enjoyed the truculence immensely. Yeah. But my response to those people who wrote in a lot was... If it's so clean, if the players deem it clean, why are we fighting after everyone? And Truba had to answer the bell not once, not twice, but three times this weekend. Yep. What? Yeah, and one of them was the payback for the Jujakara hit. Right. So that goes back. But you're right. The the Athanasiu hits. Um, he fought Jonathan Taves. That was more of a seatbelt fight. But the Listen, man, that Brady Kachuk fight, you know, center ice, you know, Madison Square Garden Friday night, that was, for all of you that are, you know, enthused by things like that, like that was the, that was the fight of the year. So a, cu- a couple of things about, you know, now the near automatic fight after a big hit. So there's a couple of things. One, um, you never want to see your teammates get hit like that. And is it legal? Absolutely. Um, was that a, was that Jacob Truba hit on Athanasiu clean? Yeah, it was clean. It was violent. Um, it was painful. But you never want to see that happen to your team. So whatever you can do to send the message to the other team that any hits like that will be met with a fight, rightly or wrongly, it's going to happen. And then I remember having a conversation once about with uh, with Brad May. And I asked him, I said, you know, I, work with me here. This doesn't make any sense. And, you know, you love hitting. Everybody loves hitting. Even when it's a clean hit, it's met, with a, it's met with a fight right away. And Timmy said something to me that always stuck with me. And that was, this is a game of momentum and momentum swings. And a big hit can swing momentum towards the opposition. And it's my job to make sure that, that momentum stops at that time. Like, we don't want them to get any energy after that whatsoever. So it's my job to stop that. And I had never thought about it from that point of view. It's my job to start to stop that momentum. Now, this kind of winks at this idea. I think you and I have talked about this before. Sports exists in this really interesting place. There's what your head knows and what your heart feels. Like, my head can't justify clean hit. Why is there a fight? My heart can yeah. And I think everyone who ever ever been a fan of a team, listen, if you're not using your head, you're leading with your heart. Emo- your heart understands it. Your head says, wait a minute, that, that makes no sense. 
But this is sports, and that's that tug between what the head is thinking and what the heart is feeling. That's the best explanation I can come up with it because I'm with you. You know, once upon a time, too, there was a, you know, when you got hit, you went back to the bench, and the veteran kind of slid down and said, you know who's out here, right? Keep your head up. So, I mean, that very much is a thing. But it's, um, you know what I think it was? Once upon a time, every single team had like, what do you figure, Tim, like four or five guys that could really step up, and you had to know when they're on the ice. Right. How many guys like that are there around the league? There's, Fourth you know, there's Truba, there's Cider. Yeah. All skill, right? Because yeah. you have to produce, right? Yeah. At, at worst, you have to play 50-50 and give the other guys a rest. Like, there's only Braden McNabb. Like, there's only a handful of guys that do this. That's why when it happens, we kind of go, whoa. Like, right. that was violent. Right. It used to happen all the time, Tim. You know this. It used to happen all the time in the league. And every guy knew who would do it. And when they were on the ice, like, yeah. listen, if then I see you, like, I understand being pissed off and saying what you said, but you have to know that Jacob Truba's on the ice. Like, you got a guy yeah. in your team that has a history with them. He has a history. Yeah. Like, I know we want to see skill flying out there, but you also got to keep your head up and understand who's out there. All right, let me ask, is, is Bennington ever going to have to answer the call here? Because it seems like the, the act is growing a little bit tired here. He's been doing this for years now, whether it's going after players, bumping goaltenders, you know, shoulder to shoulder to chest on Ilya Sorokin a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yep. And then we saw this weekend, you know, the Jordan Stahl going behind the net, you know, tries the cold shoulder. He gets bumped for it. Um, Jason Zucker, the Penguins, the, the glove in the, in the face, which is a really it might you might say, oh, it's harmless. I'm just sort of running a little like going around the net like these guys are flying like that's a that's a pretty dangerous move. Craig Berube is head coach saying like, look, we don't want the antics anymore. We just need them to make saves. And when you consider how Craig Berube played the game, like one of the toughest players <laughs> yeah. in his or any other era for him to say, hey, calm down the act. Uh, you know, uh, something's going on here. You know, it's funny too. I was, I was, I've been talking about this for a while now, and I have my money on one goal. If 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 someone's going to get to Bennington, and if Bennington's finally going to get this goalie fight out of his system, curious what you and Jesse think on this one. If you have someone circled, I wonder if that goaltender. They don't meet until I think it's middle of February. It's a Carolina Hurricanes, and there's no guarantee this guy's even going to start because the two starters may be healthy. But Peter Kachetkov is a name you should remember. Really good goaltender. He's the guy. Remember the guy that put his stick in Brad Marchand's face last yeah. year? Yeah. And we all went, who's this guy? That If there's any goaltender out there. Because Mike Smith is no longer part of the equation. Like, I was joking. <laughs> like, can, can Chicago not sign or someone sign Mike Smith to a one-day contract just to play St. Louis? Just so Jordan Bennington can get it out of his system? I think if there's going to be one guy, I wonder if it's Kachetkov, if he's playing for Carroll. I don't think they meet until like February 21st, though, or something like that. So we may still have to wait a while, Tim. All right, listen, we only got a little over two minutes left, but I want to get two questions okay. in here. And one of them is Brady Kachuk from Kachetkov to Kachuk. Was that it? Wow. Could that have been a jumping off point? Am I making too much of this? Or could that no. have been a jumping no, off not. point for him and the Sens? So you know what you know what it felt like to me this weekend, whether it was uh, everything that happened to him, you know, the Gordie Howe hat trick against the Rangers on Friday, you know, smashing Eric Carlson into the board, scoring the power play goal on Saturday against the San Jose Sharks. You know what I came away from the weekend saying to him? This is, and you know, cue the Darth Vader uh, audio drops here in the Star Wars music. This was the first time where I said, Brady Kachuk is actually his dad. 
Like, did you not get the feeling that that was Brady Kachuk saying, "I'm, I'm actually Keith Kachuk"? Like, that was a Keith Kachuk weekend. Like, I don't yeah. think you're, I don't think you're over exaggerating at all. That was a wonderful weekend for Brady Kachuk, uh, and that was the the moment I think for a lot of people following the Ottawa Senators. Even if you're a casual fan, you saw the Brady Kachuk highlights. This was like it felt like this was the weekend he became his father. I'm the father now. <laughs> he became Walt. Yeah. He became Walt in front of our eyes. Keith, I am your father. 538. I had to look it up quickly. <laughs> 538 goals. I think Ottawa Sens fans would take it. I knew it was over five. 538 uh, over 1,000 yeah. points in the show. Uh, they would take that in yeah. the flash. Last one for you. And this is the tough yep. one. Like, what, what happens in Vancouver? It feels like, and I think Thomas Chance wrote this over the weekend in The Athletic, even yeah. when they win, they lose. This was a bad weekend for Vancouver. Bad weekend for Vancouver. Brock Besser salvaged it on Saturday night uh, when he drew into the game and scored the game-time goal, sending this thing into overtime. I, I think we're all kind of on the same page here. You know, it was, isn't today the one-year anniversary of Benning getting fired in Vancouver? Uh, I think what we thought initially when Rutherford took over was going to be, you know, bodies out the door, we need flexibility, we need cap space kind of feels like maybe with this Brock Besser situation that this is the beginning of some type of teardown or I don't know managers get so weird when you say rebuild "Ah, it's hot potato don't say that word in my presence right but whatever word you want to use I I think that's where we're headed here in Vancouver Uh, you knew when you asked it that it was the one year anniversary that's the kind of guy Jeff Merrick is I knew that you knew and then I googled it and I got the Benning story (laughs) is it uh, yeah so of course you know what you're talking about Merrick that's why we love you that's why we love you still got it Timmy (laughs) thanks for dropping by buddy I wish we had more time to uh, to continue this conversation but you can check it out 32 thoughts and or on his podcast Uh, The Jeff Merrick Show, that is Jeff Merrick. Coming up, we will revisit the World Cup highlights from earlier today. Plus, Donovan Bennett will stop by in studio. We're rolling on every sport we cover and maybe some questions off the field when it comes to FIFA with Donovan in studio. Next! Welcome back, friends. Let's reset the World Cup story from earlier today. Two more round of 16 games in a round that has seen all the favorites win so far and set up some pretty tasty matchups down the road. We'll start with Brazil. And man, did they play Jogo Bonita today. How about this? Vinicius Jr., nice touch. They're dancing. Whenever I say Brazil, we play the music. How about this nonsense from Richarlison? The skill, and then one, two, three. Back of the onion bag, we dance again, this time with the coach. Oh, they danced all the way to the quarterfinals. 4-1 over Korea. By the way, the Korean goal was really nice. Just not as nice as all of that. Uh, this is Japan and Croatia. This was a good game. It was hard, hard fought, hard fought. This was uh, early on, days in Maeda. First World Cup goal, Japan had 1-0, then Perisic finds a corner with the head. This is unbelievable, puts it in the perfect spot, ties things at one apiece. We would need the penalty kicks to sort this one out. And in the shootout, Croatian keeper Dominik Libakovic was unbelievable. He came up huge, not once, not twice, but three times. Comes just the third goalie. To record three saves in a World Cup shootout. Croatia advanced to the other quarterfinals. 
for the second straight World Cup, 3-1 on penalties. So check this out. Here are your quarters. Netherlands, Argentina, Croatia, Brazil, England, France. It could work out. We haven't had an upset yet. If we don't get an upset tomorrow, it could be Spain and Portugal in the other quarterfinal. Though, as I said earlier, I think he should sprinkle a little on Morocco. I think they got a chance. I think they're better than people think. Donovan Bennett joins me in studio. And man, are those some tasty quarterfinal matchups. They certainly are. An elite eight, if you will. Yeah. Did you not have time to show the three lines? Because you know they're flying. Well, uh, they played not today. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying. I was just doing today. I think Canada highlights. wants to see them again. Oh, but, yeah. There you there go. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's uh, Jordan Henderson. Is that who that was? That's, yeah. that's called bossing the midfield. Some that's what Harry that's called. Kane. Harry Kane. We yeah. were not worried that Harry he had yeah. scored. So yeah, finally we get some Foden. Saka. Yeah. Do you, do you know this boy is 21? He's 21. Jude Bellingham, 19. Yeah. Captain of Dortmund. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Are they ready to take it? Because honestly, uh, I can show you. But I bet England before their game against Senegal because I just thought it was good value at the time. And even now, they're the fourth pick to win it. And if you look at the run of play, they, they've been pretty damn good. But it's England and they don't win anything. So I'm kind of scared. That's true. Listen, I, I, in pools, I also bet for England, but I also sprinkled mm. in an entry under Rowan Bennett for France and Desmond <laughs> Bennett for Brazil, just to make sure just that our cover bases are covered. All the bases. Okay, yeah. listen, could they? Yeah. Are 10 of the 11 starting 11 spots firing for them? Yeah. But Mbappe could have three brilliant moments and the game's over. Correct. So, listen, at this point. No, but to draw France at this point in the tournament is a tough draw. However, this isn't France, France. Like, they're, I, I know they've got more depth than maybe any other nation on planet Earth, but they're missing Pogba and they're missing Ben. Like, they've met, these, are, these are really good players. Yes. Although, are they missing Benzema? There's Whoa. some rumors that he could be, potentially might be able to rejoin at some point. I, I don't know how you say, hey, Olivier Giroud, top scorer in the history of our nation. Mm -hmm. How about you come back to the bench? Isn't that crazy that he has been an afterthought, but still it's been on the end of so many goals. Yeah, and as think of how, how good that country has been to pass True. Thierry Henry yeah. as the nation's all-time leading scorer. And then someone to go, hey, maybe that Benzema guy could pop back into this lineup and you, although I, I will say this, like, Olivier Giroud is a fine-looking man. I think he's done pretty well in all of his endeavors in life. Let me just put it that you way. You think he's okay? Yeah, I think he's all right. No matter how it works out, he's still got that title, which is unbelievable. All-time leading scorer for France. And he's also got all the other stuff that goes with being Olivier Giroud. Listen, imagine how many titles France would have in this generation if they didn't fight each other. Like, as oh, long as they're not fighting, yeah. or their moms aren't fighting, or their wags aren't fighting, yeah. they are a yeah. problem. Yeah. So maybe the fact that there is a really good France 11 that are not in Qatar right now yeah. might be the reason that they don't win, right. but they're so talented. But, I mean, we could have a similar conversation about Brazil. Yeah, we could. We definitely could. And Brazil's been good, and it's going to be fun to watch. So it's been, it's been unbelievable on the pitch. And off the pitch, I think we could describe it the same way. It has been unbelievable for so many different ways. You and I have had discussions about paradox. It feels like we're in the midst of another paradox when it comes to this World Cup. Yeah, and I just want to enjoy the football. I just want to enjoy the spectacle of the World Cup. 
But I can't really do that knowing that in a country that is not bigger than most provinces in this country, mm -hmm. they've built eight stadiums for billions of dollars, and the cost of this World Cup is on the back of a lot of migrant workers. The winner to organize the 222 FIFA World Cup is Qatar. Every time I see that clip, I still can't believe he read that name on that card. Qatar, seriously? We're talking about a country with no soccer tradition that is smaller than the province of Nova Scotia. So how'd they get the World Cup, you ask? The Sunday Times alleges widespread corruption in the bidding process where voters were bribed. The last two World Cup hosts, Russia and Qatar, are both openly corrupt but have deep pockets because of substantial oil and gas deposits, but are ruled by authoritarian regimes that leave no room for dissent. But unlike Qatar, Russia had the capacity to host. To put the 2022 World Cup on, eight new stadiums were needed, including one in a city that didn't yet exist. Qatar only has 300,000 citizens, yet 1.2 to 2 million fans are slated to come to Qatar for the World Cup. What's the consequence? Well, when a nation state is awarded the tournament corruptly in a nation without infrastructure to host it, migrant workers akin to modern day slavery are put to work to make it happen. It all had to be done quickly. Only problem is the temperature is 120 plus degrees in the summer, precisely why the games were moved off schedule to the winter to protect the health of the players. But nobody cared that the workers still have to work through the summer to get the stadiums ready to play in the winter. The tournament is being built on the backs of 1.6 million migrant workers. 60% of Qatar's total population are laborers, most from South Asia and increasingly from Africa, some of the world's poorest people are working the lowest level jobs to ensure the World Cup can be hosted in the world's richest country. In 2021, The Guardian reported more than 6,500 people died in the decades since the Qatar World Cup was announced just from Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and India alone. The numbers don't lie. The comparison to slavery isn't made lightly. If you're a worker, your rights are negligible because your freedom of movement is tied to your employer. Contracts aren't kept, you're paid what they choose, and your employer takes your passport and prevents you from switching jobs. If you try to leave the country, that's considered breaking the law. Sounds like slavery to me. In 2010, World Cups were awarded by FIFA in unacceptable ways with unacceptable consequences. There is no room for employers who do not secure the freedom and safety of World Cup workers. FIFA, all of us, must take all necessary measures to really implement change. What's the end game? The real housewives of Dubai, seriously. Their Middle East neighbors in Dubai have laundered their reputation to such a degree that the lifestyles of the rich and famous from the Western world are opting to bring their money there so often it has become reality TV. Qatar wants to be the new Dubai, and this is their coming out part. Hosting the World Cup gives Qatar a reason to spend money on infrastructure they need, stadiums, hotels, subways, to be a travel hotspot and a Fortune 500 business partner. This was already happening in Qatar as the capital city Doha was being built as a modern metropolis, but over the last 12 years, it's happened at an accelerated pace in preparation for the World Cup. Qatar is the smallest country to ever host a World Cup, 
Yet the spend was $220 billion, 15 times more than the next expensive World Cup. The fact is, there is a real human cost to the most expensive World Cup ever. This concept isn't new. The most recent sports washing example is Live Golf, but it dates back all the way to Hitler's Germany hosting the 1936 Olympic Games. So in summary, Qatar is a regime where workers' rights are limited and many poor men died to make a few men rich during this tournament. FIFA is akin to an international crime syndicate and soccer is a mirror to the world. This doesn't mean you can't love this tournament as there is nothing wrong about being so passionate about the country of your birth or ancestry so much you want them to do well on the world stage playing the world's game, but it does mean that you can hate the fact that people died to deliver this tournament to the world and it happened for over a decade while the rest of the world sat back and watched. Final word to Jurgen Klopp. You are all journalists. You have, should have sent a message who didn't write the most critical article about it and not about because it's Qatar and things. No, about the circumstances which was clear. The process was not right. A lot of people took money <laughs> for the wrong reason. We all let it happen. I remember the show that Sitzkero and I did when Russia and Qatar were announced, and it did not hold back. I can tell you that, Jurgen Klopp. But this is interesting because while we were watching that piece, you and I got kind of embroiled in a conversation on whether there is the next line or we'll see what we're seeing next World Cup, and it's just three countries hosting the World Cup, all with pretty much existing stadiums, say, for journal. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Uh, Condolences to TFC and the Argos. We'll just yeah. go away for six weeks. Right, and we're going to build things on here and there and there that don't make sense, but yeah. whatever. And there'll More be a stadium with seats that uh, yeah. can't be filled uh, for the games that happen after the World Cup. I, I think the playbook is being told to us, it's been read to us. Our boy uh, Infantino, mm, when he wasn't you know, basically saying that, yeah, migrant worker, me and you, same, same. Yeah, <laughs> same. Uh, disabled person. Yeah. I, was, I, I feel your pain. When he wasn't going I was on that a ridiculous, kid. Di- yeah. yeah, I got thing. shoved in a locker two decades ago. You're dying at your job. Same. Yeah, for sure. Uh, when he wasn't doing that, he said he openly said, "Hey, North Korea, how you doing?" <laughs> One tournament? Like, this is what he said in, in the opening press conference. So I, I think it's very clear. They are going to go where the money is. He was brought in to clean up Sepp yeah. Blatter's mess, which is yes. now a Netflix special. It arguably has gone... Actually, I don't know if you can argue it. I think it's gone worse. Right. I don't even know if Sepp Blatter would say, Budweiser, I know you paid us millions. Too bad, dude. Qataris are actually running this tournament. Yeah. So I, 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 I think it ends up being rotated to either continents, because yeah. that's the only way it makes sense in North yeah. America, the whole yeah. continent has to chip in, or multiple uh, countries like the Women's Oligarchs. World Cup, or oligarchs. Those are your, your <laughs> options, multiple yeah, choices. Regimes. Uh, all right, we'll, we'll figure this out. There may be a tipping point. We'll discuss that. Time for one last break. Uh, can you stick around, Donovan? We'll do a little game time. I mean, you've asked me on TV, so I don't really have a choice. Yeah, no, you don't. I, I got some prime time for you next. Will you stick around for that? Of course. That's better. Better, lure him with that. Our Monday tip of the cap, a little different this time around. Our tip of the cap goes to Deion Sanders for making the quiet part loud. Yeah, sure, I would have loved to have seen primetime stay at Jackson State and bring historically black colleges back to prominence, but we knew his ego couldn't do it. He had to go to a power five. He chose Colorado 12th. 
in the Pac-12. And he came out firing from introducing his son as the starting quarterback to telling kids already there they better get ready to get replaced by his Louis Vuitton luggage. Where's, uh, where's Shador? Shador? And this is your quarterback, all right? He's going to have to earn it, don't believe that. We got a few positions already taken care of because I'm bringing my luggage with me. And it's Louis. I'm coming. And when I get him, it's going to be changed. So I want y'all to get ready to go ahead and jump in that portal <laughs> and do whatever you're going to get. Here's why it's my tip of the cap, Donovan Bennett. He's doing what college coaches have done for years, except he's the only one to actually tell us that he's doing it. And it seems to be already working. A source at Colorado, this on Twitter, tells me over 200 recruits and portal transfers have reached out in the last 12 hours, some of them four to five star Caliber players, Deion Sanders has a chance to make some noise before signing day. NIL money is already is also rolling in, I'm told. No idea if it will work, but like the rest of the world these days, it seems like reality TV. And this one, at least, I am here to see. Uh, I, I'm here to see it as well. I'm not as excited as you are. But also, I, I think you missed the part of the press conference that I found fascinating. Can we, do you guys, can we, do you have this? Can we can we roll the? You brought your own clips. This, this is actually this, this was the call from Colorado. <laughs> Must be the money, because ultimately this is what this is about, is it not? Of course it is. But is it? How is that any different from Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Mike Lee, anyone else you want to name that has been around? It is about the money, and it always has been about the money in college football. This guy's just doing it up front in your face. But here's why. As he always has. He, yes, he always <laughs> has. Quite literally. Here's, here's why it's different. And I, I get it. Yeah. He made reportedly 300000 at Jackson State. Yeah. I know a youth sports coach that makes more than 300000 Right. I, I know a uh, host uh, with his own show. In this building, that makes over three hundred thousand. Like now, he's making five, six, seven million. So I, I, I get the finance, but let's remember why he went to Jackson State in the first place. I, I know his why. words, not mine. Yeah. One, he said he was called by God to do it. Right. But two, he said in the wake of George Floyd, he wanted to tell black kids it's okay to actually enrich your own communities. And no question, there is a great return on investment to the 300000 that they paid Dion. He was cutting the grass at the stadium. He's not going to have to do that at Colorado State. I guarantee you Nick Saban doesn't know who cuts the grass at his stadium. But the point is, he brought great attention, college game day, yep. five-star recruits. Mm -hmm. All of that is now gone. Correct. So the part that makes me sad, and it's not his job to do this, is that the lesson is, all right, it's good to invest in our own until we can make more elsewhere. And then peace out, deuces, we're gone. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know what the lasting legacy of Dion at Jackson State ultimately will be. It was good for him. Mm -hmm. It was good for his son. Yep. But ultimately, if, if the message is go to and invest in your own community until 
literally one of the worst teams in the last decade <laughs> yeah. gives you an opportunity? Without like, what, what message is that? All, all, all. HBCUs are good until crappy teams care? Yeah. Like, it's one thing if you went back to Florida Powerful. State. No, I got you. Or, or Cincinnati, who's, I, who's been on the rise, right? Or South Florida, he's going back in his community. He's going to Colorado? The selling point for Colorado is what? The show must go on. We, we've got, like, legal marijuana and great skiing? Yeah. Laval, that's what they say. <laughs> what are we talking about? All right. Game time starts with <laughs> Tim and Prez. Here's what we have on tap on the network. Hockey Central comes your way 8 p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet, followed by the Caps and the Oilers. Coyotes and Flames on Sportsnet 1. Habs and Canucks regionally on Pacific with Monday at Raw on Sportsnet 360. And the Suns and Mavs on Sportsnet now. I had to get to this. I don't disagree with anything that you said, and I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way, shape, or form, but I had to go to game time. Do you want to finish any thoughts on on Dion? Isn't that Dion in a nutshell, though? It is. It is. Let's see if we can get a rant out of you here in game time. Why not? Uh, Why don't we begin with one? Yeah, we'll get another one. Why don't we uh, look at John Morosi's tweet from about 20 minutes ago. Uh, The Blue Jays are a team to watch in the Brian Reynolds market. They have interest in him, want to add an athletic switch hitter to their outfield based on strong industry interest. Jays would likely need to include Ricky Tiedemann or Elvis Martinez to have a high offer. Those are now the one and two ranked prospects in the organization. Listen, if you put two and two together, you can come up with what Morosi tweeted there. And that is, if you want to go get that piece, Pirates aren't looking for existing pieces. They're not looking for a catcher. That's exactly what Chai Davidi said on the show. Mm-hmm. So you put two and two together and you come up with, you're going to have to give up prospects. And I don't know if he's good enough defensively to do that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, why don't we go to uh, the Toronto Raptors? Uh, we're at home to the Boston Celtics. After an up and down weekend, Friday the Raptors were blown out by the Nets in Brooklyn and afterwards held a players-only meeting, which is never good, but they responded with a much better effort in Saturday's win over the last-place Magic. Timmy, do you expect that to carry over tonight against Jason Tatum and the first-place Celtics? Donovan, I'll ask you, but I'm going to add a couple of stats for you. Uh, Celtics are the best offensive team in the NBA. They're first in points per game, they're first in three-point percentage, and they are first in three-pointers made per game. Do you think it'll carry over for the Raptors tonight? I do. You do? I do. Wow. So, this is the, uh, this feels like a real measuring stick game for the Raptors for me. Like, where you figure out what they've got because there's some expiring deals in the next two years where you really got to wonder what you're going to do long term with this franchise, no? I agree. I think this entire year is research and development, understanding exactly what you said. Who's the core? Who we can move forward with? Who has value outside of our organization, maybe, that we can uh, spin them off at the deadline? Or do we believe in this core enough to make some moves to add? Right. They have a gang of 6'9 pieces that a lot of teams would love uh, that are more than just 3 and D guys, right? So I, I do like the 6'9 Mafia, but I think there's going to be up and down periods because of their youth. Yeah, and this will show you a lot of what they've got moving forward. Donovan showed us a lot. We appreciate it. Jesse, as always, Hockey Central coming your way 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll talk again tomorrow. Dip.